I've pastored in three churches, uh, 16 years in York, so it's not too far from here in York, Pennsylvania, Grace Community Church. I'm now doing pulpit supply, interim seminars, and so forth. And I'm a, a happy grandfather of seven kids, all right? Uh, we have, I had three boys, and the first five of my grandkids were boys, and then we had a girl and then another boy. So uh, I'm, I'm just starting to learn what it's like to deal with girls, because I just never had one. So uh, it's a new experience, but they range from, 12, from five to 12. And our family every year in August goes down to Ocean City, New Jersey, and we have 15 of us in one house. So uh, we have a great time down at the shore with all of our grandkids. And they were all over, over the uh, Easter holiday. They come to our house, and uh, we had a great time. So, uh, so I'm a grandfather as well, and I enjoy that. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Our message this morning uh, is entitled, What is Going On Inside Our Head? And you'll see why I chose that title as we look at this passage. Before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day in which we can come and worship you in song and also worship you through your word. And Lord, as we look at this important passage here in 2 Corinthians, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and will enable us to see what this passage is saying, not only in its context, but what it's saying to us and how we can apply this to our personal walk with our wonderful Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. The first American ever arrested for speeding was named Jacob German. He was 26 years old. He was a taxi cab driver for electric vehicle company in New York City. And it was on May 20th, 1899, he was hauled over. He was taken to jail for speeding down Lexington Street, Manhattan at 12 miles an hour. <laughs> in an eight mile an hour speed zone. All right. Now, could you imagine if Jacob German were brought into uh, driving car and taxi cabs today in New York City? Just imagine him, the speeds in which cars can go now. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a 396 Chevelle. This was back in the hot car day. All right. It got me five tickets on my junior license. <laughs> I lost my license for a total of 12 months. I, I, I get them taken for three months, and then I get them back. Then another three, another two. It, it took a whole year before I finally served all those tickets. Uh, my wife, is, or my girlfriend, who's now my wife, of course, uh, she got sick of driving me to work. My mother got sick of driving me to work. But speeds today, for that man, it would look like it was science fiction level, uh, especially if, if uh, I used to go to Maple Grove Dragway, uh, you know, to see the funny cars run. I haven't gone, that was back in high school and pretty f many years ago. But anyway, 
Uh, they would go like 200, now they're doing it much faster, but then it was like 200 miles an hour and a quarter mile. Here's a man arrested for going 12 miles an hour. So you can imagine what he would think of today's speeds. But you see, the pace of life has just increased. Uh, and the days go by sometimes like a blur. And years fly by like you have, you're watching a movie stuck on fast forward. And sometimes the pace of life in our society is so fast, certain days you can barely remember what you're thinking. And so our thinking is very important. What goes on in our head is very important because our life is shaped by our thought life. So it's important what our minds are thinking. So in this passage, we're going to look at four things that need to be going on in our head. The first thing is we need to have the mind of Christ. There's an outline there, and if you're one that takes notes, uh, it's there for you. But we need to have the mind of Christ. Follow along as I read the first two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we are walking according to the flesh. Now, the context here of 2 Corinthians is Paul is defending his apostleship. There were false teachers in Corinth that were saying that Paul was not a true apostle. And Paul was defending his apostleship. Now, in these verses, Paul is not defending himself out of egotism and pride because he needs to defend his apostleship because the message of the gospel is at stake. If Paul is not an apostle, he's not a true writer of Scripture. And so Paul is defending the, against the accusations of the false teachers, which were messing up the Corinthian church. And so... Uh, by the, by uh, come, saying the things that he's saying in these first two verses, he's actually doing it with true humility because he says here, I urge and I come to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. These are two words of humility. First of all, the word meekness means power under control. Uh, it's, if you think of a wild stallion that's broken by a cowboy, once that cowboy breaks that horse, he has tremendous power that's under his control. And this is the idea of this word meekness. A lot of times we think of meekness, we think of weakness. Meekness is power under control. Jesus was the meekest of all men, but he had the power of the universe at his disposal because he was God in the flesh. So you see, meekness is the idea of power under control. Actually, this word is the opposite of being self assertive. A self-assertive person goes around pushing his weight, so to speak, uh, being in control of everything. A meek person has power, but he has it under control. The word gentleness here means not demanding our own rights. A gentle person doesn't go around demanding his own rights. We live in a society today that's always demanding its own rights. And gentle people give people the benefit of the doubt. Now, in order to respond this way, 
Paul had to have the mind of Christ because they are fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are actually the very characteristics of Christ's life. Every fruit of the Spirit is how Jesus lived every moment of his life here on earth. And so Paul is saying, I appeal to you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now notice whose meekness and gentleness it is. It's Christ. In other words, by Paul saying the meekness and gentleness of Christ, Paul says, I cannot produce this in the energy of my own flesh. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can produce this through me. And so he appealed to the gentleness and meekness of Christ. God gives us opportunities throughout life to to express the humility that the Holy Spirit gives us through the meekness and gentleness of Christ. There's an example of this. There's a pastor who was asked to speak at a charitable organization. And after the meeting and the program, uh, the chairman handed him a check. And because it was for charity, the pastor says, no, 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 I'm not going to accept the check. I'm sure you have better uses for that. And the chairman said, well, do you mind if we put it in our special fund? The pastor said, no, that would be great. He says, what's the special fund? He says, so we can get a better speaker next year. (laughs) So there's times in life when God gives us an opportunity to use the power that the Holy Spirit gives us to be humble and express the gentleness and meekness of Christ. We also see in verse 2, that Paul was prepared to be bold. He says in verse 2, I don't want to come in boldness, but if I have to, I will. So the mind of Christ includes what we're going to call mental toughness as well. Jesus got tough at times when he had to. He got tough with the Pharisees. Remember he said to the Pharisees, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombstones filled with dead man's bones. Try using that on someone and see what happens to you. All right? He he called them snakes in the grass. He got tough because they were false teachers and leading people astray. Jesus sometimes had to get tough with his disciples, did he not? Oh, ye of little faith, different times he would say. So mental toughness is not contrary to to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. There's times mental toughness is important. And Paul said, I will come in boldness if I need to. So we see here that the mind of Christ enables us to go through life by the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's meekness and gentleness needed, he will empower us to exhibit the humility that's needed. When it's time when we need to be mentally tough, he will empower us to do that. When others falsely accuse us, or people gossip about us, or people at work give you a hard time because of your faith in Christ, we can experience the mind of Christ, and we can tap into his strength so that we can respond with gentleness and meekness or mental toughness as the situation occurs, rather than judging people, giving people the benefit of the doubt, and encouraging people, and so forth. All of these are involved in the mind of Christ. Now, the question is, how do you and I, how are we enabled to have the mind of Christ? Well, there's a verse in Scripture that says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
That's a powerful phrase. Richly dwell within you. That phrase means to be at home in you. In other words, God's word should be at home in your thinking. And what that means is you go on a vacation and you're away. Let's say you take a two-week vacation. And you go for two weeks and you're coming back and you're saying, it's nice, I love the vacation, but there's no place like home. Home is where you are most comfortable. Now, I would not, we don't have one at this point, uh, but we used to have a coffee table in front of our couch. Now we have these lazy boy things that come up so you don't need it. But I would not go into your home and not knowing you and just prop my feet up on your coffee table. But I'd prop my feet up on our coffee table, as long as I put a magazine under there first. I might get yelled at. No. Uh, So... You're at home. I wouldn't go into your refri- come into your house and say, what do you got to eat? And open your refrigerator. You might kick me out pretty quick. But uh, I would do that in my home, all right? And I would do that in my kids' home, all right? So you're at home in your place of residence. Our mind is to have the place of residence of Christ's mind, which is found in the Word of God. So if the word of Christ is at home in my thinking, when I face life situations, I could respond with the mind of Christ. And that's what God wants us to do. Also, the scripture says, set our mind on the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh. We would have the mind of the spirit. So what's going on in our heads? The question we can ask. Is it the mind of Christ? So we express his meekness, his gentleness and mental toughness when needed. The second thing that needs to be going on in our heads is that we need to learn to walk, uh, to realize that we are in a spiritual battle. Because look at verse 3. Realize we are in a spiritual battle. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. If we do not realize we are in a spiritual battle, in this life, we are going to be blindsided by the enemy. We must realize we are not at peace in this world. We're at war. And that's sometimes hard for Americans to wrap their mind around because there's been very few wars that have been actually fought on our, in our country. Like, you know, Civil War, of course, uh, Revolutionary War. But world wars were mostly fought on other people's uh, uh, places. Now, it came to, came, you know, to root kind of when we had the, uh, the terrorist attack on the, on the Twin Towers. That kind of shook people up to the place saying, we're at war. And we're more and more at war with the terrorists and so forth in, the, in, in our world today. But it's, very, it's, it's, it's not quite as easy for Americans to wrap their mind around the fact that uh, we should always be alert. Uh, Israel, for instance, is always on the alert. They're always realizing they're at war. So you and I have to wrap our minds around the fact that God says we are at war. And we have been enlisted in Christ's army. And we are to go to battle with his strength. Now, Paul here is using a military illustration in verses 3 through 5 to show us that we are in a spiritual war. And we are enlisted as his soldiers. 
And he, and he says here, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we live in our humanness or our human flesh, but we don't go to war with fleshly weapons is, is the idea. And so Paul is saying you can't fight this battle in human strength. Uh, <clears throat> Paul was being falsely accused here in context. Uh, He's using a play on words because back in uh, verse, at the end of verse 2, it said they accused him of walking by the flesh. So Paul says here in verse 3, using a play in words, he's basically saying this, you're wrong. I walk in the flesh, but I do not war according to the flesh. And so Paul here in verse 3 uh, is showing that human strength cannot fight spiritual battles. We are weak in our human flesh. We cannot go to war against Satan and his hosts. We are not fighting a fleshly battle, as in Ephesians it says. We don't go to war against human flesh. We go against principalities, powers, and, and so forth, demon forces. We fight spiritual battles. If we try and fight any spiritual battle with our human reasoning, our human ingenuity, or by our own strength and ability, we will be defeated every time. Uh, there's a number of years ago, there was a, a jet uh, T-33 that was being tested, and it was made possible to suspend gravity back then at 40 seconds. By flying at a proper curve at high speed, the occupant uh, of the plane became weightless when gravity was suspended. Now, half of the men tested said they felt pleasant sensations. One expressed it this way. He wished he could live forever at gravity zero since there was a feeling of complete relaxation. You see, in the Christian life, there's a double pool. There's the pool of the flesh, and the pool of the flesh is like gravity, always pulling us down. But the power of the Spirit is always pulling us up. And you can liken that to the law of aerodynamics. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one we need to trust in this power to lift us above the power of sin and the flesh in this life. We are to fight battles by the Spirit and not by the flesh is what Paul is saying. To give you a couple of examples uh, in the Old Testament. Here's Abraham. God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And that son's going to come from Sarah. So they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And it's not happening. So they come up with this brilliant human plan. Here's Hagar, my, my servant. And it was, it was, quote, legal in that day. Not with God, of course, but it was legal in that day to have sexual relations with that, that uh, servant. And then that child born then was adopted by the uh, by, by the husband, which would be Abraham, and then they made that child their heir. Well, they came up with this brilliant plan. Uh, they said, okay, here we have, now we have the promised son. They were trying to help God with human reasoning to fulfill his plan. Did work. God says, no. And here's, then when they did it the right way by faith and continued to trust God, here's Abraham, 100 years old or so, his wife was already uh, done beyond chair, uh, childbearing uh, years, and God performed miraculously the birth of Isaac. 
Then you see Moses. God tells Moses, you're going to deliver my people. So Moses goes out there, and he's looking at the situation, and he ends up killing an Egyptian. He tried it in his own strength to deliver Israel. Then he ran into the desert for 40 years, came back and did it God's way by faith and delivered God's people. So you see, flesh cannot handle spiritual warfare. It must be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. To do the right things, to live by the power of the Spirit, go to warfare, the right things need to be going in on in our head. And the, the thing is, how do we go to battle we go to battle in the strength of the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. Third, we need to apply by faith the proper spiritual weapons. Look with me at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The phrase not of the flesh means belonging to the sphere of the flesh. In other words, anything that appeals to our human senses, or, <clears throat> excuse me, our own cunningness, our own selfish ambition for power and glory, any of these things are in the sphere of the flesh. They do not cut it with God. God does not do anything with the flesh except overpower it by the Holy Spirit. If we have confidence in our position in life, if we have confidence in our wealth that get us through life, if we have confidence in our human abilities and rely on our own strength and our own uh, ideas of how to do things, these are all fleshly weapons. We must go to war only with spiritual weapons. And when we yield to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, then God takes all of our gifts, our spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, our talents and our personality, and he uses them for his glory as we yield to him. Now notice our proper spiritual weapons are defined this way, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. It's only through Christ's divine power, notice divinely powerful weapons, they can actually destroy fortresses or strongholds. Now, fortresses in Bible times, to get the context here and to give you an idea of what Paul is saying, in Bible times they had what are called fortresses. They were high walls built around cities. And they had someone up in a, in a tower, in a high tower, observing and looking for the enemy. And enemies would, would have to, would they put a siege on the city. They, come around and siege the city, cut off water supplies, and try and starve the people out of the city until they're able to break through the walls and come and attack. So commands were given from those observation towers when under, when under siege. Now the fortresses here that Paul is speaking of are anything that opposed the truth and the triumph of Christ's cause in this world. Now, the main fortress that Paul is using here, we'll see this in verse 5, is our mind. He's using the mind as an analogy, as a for fortress or a stronghold. And he's using this because the sin, the power of sin, seeks to control our thinking. And that can become a stronghold of the enemy. If the power of sin... Uh, overpowers us and we start thinking wrong thoughts and we're not having our minds set on things above instead of things on the earth, 
that our mind become a stronghold of the enemy. And entrenched habits can develop, and he can take us captive in that stronghold. And we do not live free in Jesus Christ. Strongholds can take many forms. Let me give you several ideas of how our minds can become a stronghold of the enemy. We can have strongholds of deceit and lying. We can have strongholds of bitterness or unforgiving spirit. We can have strongholds of depression and self-pity. We can have strongholds of gossip, strongholds of a critical spirit or addictions or pride, self-centeredness. We can have uh, strongholds of fear and insecurity in life. We can have strongholds of rebellion and self-will. We can have strongholds of greed and materialism. We can have strongholds of being manipulative and always wanting to be in control of everything. Control flesh, we could call it. We can have strongholds of lust and sexual impurity. We can have strongholds of laziness and lack of self-discipline. We can have strongholds of lack of prayer, a lack of spiritual growth in our lives. There's many men, I just gave a few, Many strongholds can develop in the life of a believer in his mind because that's where it all starts. These entrenched habits that the enemy wants to keep us locked up and make us think that these things are impregnable. Just like uh, in ancient times, those walls looked impregnable. Sometimes it took years before they could break through a city because of the high walls. So the Satan builds through the power of sin the strongholds in our mind and the habits that are very difficult to overcome that we build up for years in our Christian lives. So he wants to bring them down. But he says our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. God has given us two major weapons that we use in this battle against sin and the flesh. One is his word. That's our first weapon. God has given us his word as a spiritual weapon that is powerful. The word of God is living and powerful than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. Also, God has given us the resurrected, living Jesus Christ who is in us through his Holy Spirit. The Bible says we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead resident within us through his Holy Spirit. And so we have the Holy Spirit and we have the Word of God. And we could say it this way, the living Word and the written Word. Jesus is in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so these are our powerful weapons, our battering rams to knock down the high walls of the strongholds of our mind. So what's going on in our heads? Is it, is it destructive thoughts that are strongholds in our lives? Or are we destroying them in our mind through the power of God's godly weapons and divinely powerful weapons? The fourth thing, we need to apply the right strategy. Look with me now at verse uh, 5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing rised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Again, he's using the military term. We are destroying. This word means to tear down by 
enforce or to demolish. And what he's saying here, and it's in the present tense, we are to keep on bringing down, tearing down the negative thoughts that come to our mind by force, by the power of Christ. Now, these negative thoughts are expressed two ways. First of all, he uses the phrase speculations. Speculations means any suggestion of evil philosophy or thinking of this evil world system in which we live in. Satan is the god of this world, the Bible says. He has a philosophy, a way of thinking, a way of approaching life. And this is called speculations in this passage. And then it says, every lofty thing rised up against the knowledge of God. The idea is every proud thing, exalted opinion, self-confident, and anything that is against the value and the principles and the standards of God's Word. So in other words, speculation, Satan's evil philosophies, and anything that is against God's Word is what we are to destroy in our lives. Now, we must storm the enemy's strongholds, it says here. We are to tear them down by force, anything that comes against the truth of God. But that's only half the strategy. Notice the next part. We must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does he mean there? We are to take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Bring those thoughts captive in line with what Christ has said in his word. And also in Corinthians it says, we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is what he has said in his word. So you and I are to bring our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to bring them in under the control of the Holy Spirit in line with his word. See, after an army took prisoners captive, they would then lead them out of their, own, their old stronghold and bring them into their stronghold. So the analogy is here, those negative things and the sins that are going on in our lives need to be ripped down and brought into the stronghold of Christ and having new thoughts and new ways of thinking, biblical ways of thinking. When we go down to the shore, and I mentioned that we go down there with our whole family in August, and we've been doing this for years. Uh, I've been going, when, even when I was a kid, down to the shore. I love going to the beach. But there's always these crazy people, and I hope you're not one of them, I don't want to offend anyone here, who feeds the seagulls, all right? You're on the beach, and some, you know, it's usually little kids and the parents, they think it's really funny, you know, and they're throwing, and they come from all over the place. Uh, and before long, you have to look for things that are dropping on you, and uh, you're also, my, my, my uh, granddaughter one time was sitting there, uh, on the beach with her sandwich in her hand, and whoom, the thing that took it right out of her hand, you know, it's just that quick. But if people start feeding them, they come from all over the place, and they're attacking. You've got to watch yourself. They're coming after you. If you have any food in your hand, man, they're, they're coming after you. This is the idea. If I do not deal with the thoughts that come to my mind, and I don't deal with them, let them in. They will come from every direction, and I will be defeated. We must destroy them. In order to have freedom from sin's control over our mind, we need to remember this principle. We deal with the thoughts that sin introduces to our mind at the threshold of the mind, not in the mind. Let me tell you what I mean. 
at the threshold, sin is tempting us. We must not let it entrance into our mind. Once we allow it to be there and start thinking about it, then we have yielded to sin. Let me give you an illustration. There's not too many of these, these around anymore, but it used to be very popular. The old vacuum cleaner salesman, all right? You hear a ding, 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 you, and you open the door, and there's someone holding a vacuum cleaner. And he wants, he's at the threshold of your door, and he wants entrance into your home to demonstrate. He says, I have this wonderful vacuum cleaner. I like to demonstrate it to you, so forth and so on. At that point, you have a decision to make. All right? Now, I don't suggest this is in the Christian way of doing it, but I'll say it anyway. You say, no, thank you, and slam the door in his face. All right? That's one way to handle it. The second way is to say, yeah, come on in. Once you let him over the threshold of the door, you're going to have a hard time getting him back out the door. He'll be throwing dust all over your floor, and, you know, this is a wonderful vacuum cleaner giving you the spiel but you have let him in over the threshold of the door, and now you're going to have a hard time getting him out. Think of the power of sin rings the doorbell and suggests something to your thinking. It's at the threshold. At that moment, at that very moment, you have a decision. I either say no and slam the door in sin's face and then turn around and start thinking the proper thoughts and bringing my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. If I let it in, and start dwelling on it and thinking about it, I'm going to have a hard time dealing with that, that, that uh, uh, after I've let it in my mind. Now, in order, let's, how can we apply verse 5? I want to give you what I believe is a very practical way to apply verse 5. We're going to call it the 4R approach. First R, recognize the origin of the thought. Thought comes to us by the power of sin to tempt us, to deceive us, or to accuse us. Now, these thoughts are not generated by our new man in Christ. They are generated by the power of sin trying to work through our flesh to deceive us and accuse us. But we are responsible to deal with it. We are to deal with them and bring them captive to Christ. The second R, refuse to accept the thought as ours. In other words, if we refuse to dwell on the thought, and refuse it entrance, just like that vacuum cleaner salesman. Slam the door shut. You and I, by the authority of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, can say no to sin's temptation. Third, reckon ourselves dead to the power of sin. The word reckon means count it to be true because it is true. In Romans 6, 6, it says this, Our old man has been crucified with Christ so that our body, which is an instrument of sin, may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be slaves to sin. We have been crucified with Christ, the Bible says. We have been buried with Christ, and we've been raised up with Christ to new life. We have the authority to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6.11 says, count yourself indeed dead to sin and alive to God. So a dead person does not have to respond to any physical stimulus. You are a dead to sin. Sin is a dead, all right? The power of sin never dies, all right? But you're dead to it. Jesus has freed us from the power of sin. We can say no and then yield to the Holy Spirit 
so that we can have victory. So the last R is rest in the total sufficiency of Christ. We have Christ in us, the Bible says. We're in union with Christ, and He is in us. And we have His strength. We have His power. We can thank Him that at the cross, He not only took care of our sins, but defeated the power of sin to enslave us as a believer. He broke the power of sin. And that's what our crucifixion is all about. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. We have his power in us. We can rest in his strength. He defeated every sin when he was on earth. And because he's in me and I am in him, he will defeat every sin through me if I trust him to do so at the time of temptation. That's how you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are safe. We are secure. We are strong in Christ so we can rest in his sufficiency. Now, this 4 R approach, the important thing to remember, Christ said this, without me, you can do nothing. I can't fight this battle in the flesh. I'm weak. But I have the power of Christ living in me. And with him, I can win this battle. So look at the first R. Recognize. We need his wisdom from the word to recognize the tricks of the enemy and trying to get us off course from God's ways. The second R, refuse. We need his power to refuse entrance into our mind. His power, will re- we can refuse self-pity. We can refuse unbelief. We can refuse bitterness. We can refuse despair, pride, negative thoughts, sexual loss, so forth. The psalm says it this way, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And we read this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. For the third R, reckon. We have the authority to count ourselves dead indeed unto sin and alive to God because we've been raised to new life in Christ. We read this in Psalm. Through the Lord we will display great strength. It is he who tramples down our enemies. Then we read this in in Romans 8 too. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are free from it by Christ's power. The the fourth uh, R, rest. We need his grace to rest completely in the sufficiency. And we must trust and be completely assured that by his grace, whether we feel like it or not, he has given us the victory. And we trust him for it. Cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. We read this. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. We, have, we can rest in his strength. Buddy was on his first camp out. Uh, kids were going out uh, to this camping trip, and Buddy got his tent up, and he he went for a hike, and 15 minutes later, he came back. And he was a mess, and it was a little bloody, and a fellow camper. And what happened? 
I was chased by a black snake, the youngster said. And the other camper laughed. He says, black snakes aren't poisonous, aren't deadly. But he says, they are if they make you jump off a 10-foot cliff. <laughs> you see, it's very important. What is going on in our heads? This kid thought a black snake was deadly, but it wasn't. See, you and I must have the right things going on in our heads. Do we have the mind of Christ? Do we, have, do we apply the spiritual, divinely powerful weapons that God has given us at our disposal? Are we using the right strategy and going forth to battle by dealing with these thoughts at the threshold of the mind rather than allow it to come in and dwell in the mind? May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, count ourselves dead indeed to sin and alive to God because we've been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and raised with Christ to a newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your battle strategy that we see here in 2 Corinthians. Lord, it's the key for us as believers to learn to walk by faith. We do not walk by sight. And we know that Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus is the victor. Jesus not only took care of our sins, Lord, but he took care of the power of sin to dominate our lives so that we can walk in freedom in this life and we can walk by the Spirit. If we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So, Lord, teach us your battle strategy and may we learn to apply what we have uh, saw here this morning so that we can win the battle of life and grow in our walk with our Savior. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. And now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before his throne. To the only wise God be honor and glory and dominion and power both now and to all throughout eternity. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.